You're listening to Switched On Australia, the podcast that tracks the opportunities and challenges of electrifying everything, everywhere. Switched On is brought to you by the publishers of Renew Economy, Australia's best informed, most read website focusing on the green energy transition and is supported by Boundless Earth, using philanthropy, investment and direct advocacy to help Australia become a global force in a decarbonised world. Hello and welcome to another Switched On Australia podcast. I'm Anne Delaney. Joining you today from the lands of the Jar Jar Wurrung people in central Victoria. The landmark US Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, passed its first anniversary a couple of months ago and is already on its way to helping electrify American households. It's also designed to revolutionise how the population interacts with energy to modernise their grid and reshape American manufacturing. Worth over 500 billion US dollars, that's more than 790 billion Australian, this multi-pronged legislation is the largest investment in US history to address climate change. Many energy experts here would like to see Australia have its own Inflation Reduction Act. Dr Saul Griffith from Rewiring Australia calculated that if we spent pro rata what the United States has on the IRA, 40 to 50 billion dollars would need to be invested in the energy transition over the next 10 years. So what exactly does the Inflation Reduction Act offer American householders? Joining me today to tell us how the rollout of the IRA is going is Sage Briscoe, the Director of Federal Policy at Rewiring America. This is a non-profit that focuses on electrification. And I started my discussion with Sage by asking her to give me a broad overview of what the IRA aims to do. The Inflation Reduction Act is hundreds of pages long and it has over 135 programs, so we're definitely not going to be able to cover all of it. Um, but writ broad, it, you know, it, <laughs> small aims, it just wants to modernize our grid, reshape American manufacturing and change how the uh, population interacts with energy in our day to day lives. So, you know, small stuff. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it's massive, isn't it? It's, it's an absolutely it landmark piece of legislation. It really, really is. It's very exciting for us. It was, it was uh, an amazing day when we passed it, and uh, it's been a lot of work since then, but good stuff. Yeah. So what is Rewiring America's aim in, in responding to the IRA? W what are you trying to do? A lot of our work is really focused on trying to make sure that uh, as we move through the implementation that it's done equitably and that we make sure that there's equal access to uh, for, for everyone to be able to, to share in this abundant electric future. We have, unfortunately, a long history in the U.S. of not being fair and of, of purposefully excluding certain populations. Um, and that's something that we, we simply can't do. Those are mistakes we can't make again as we, we go through the energy transition. So that's a lot of the work that we do is trying to figure out how can we make this affordable, approachable, how can we make uh, electrification the default and make it easy for everyone so that we don't you know, leave some folks behind. So, so tell me what it offers the householder. 
Uh, so there's a number of different things. One of the main things is tax credits. We in America love to do our policy through the tax code for a variety of historical and arcane reasons um, <laughs> that has benefits and negatives. Um, but so there's there's tax credits that you can get if you install a, a heat pump, like an air source heat pump or a heat pump water heater, you can get 30% up off up to $2,000. There's also tax tax credits for more efficient windows or doors or putting in insulation into your attic or your walls. Um, then there's bigger tax credits. You can get an uncapped 30% off for if you're going to put on uh, rooftop solar or do a geothermal heat pump, or if you're going to do battery storage, which is a new one for us. We hadn't put any uh, uh, tax credits or any incentives into that before we passed the IRA. Um, and then the other half of it are what we're calling rebate programs, although in some ways that's a bit of a misnomer because they're really uh, upfront discounts. It's not one of these things where you have to wait and get the money after the fact, like you would with a tax credit or most rebates. Um, and those, those programs are, are really the vehicle for equity in the IRA. And uh, the idea there is to provide um, you know, upfront discounts to people who want to, whether it's weatherization and efficiency, there's one program for that. Um, and then there's another program that really focuses on the appliances and has, um, you know, up to $8,000 for a heat pump or, you know, uh, 1750 for a heat pump water heater. Um, so that kind of has different amounts for different types of appliances, um, but you can get up to $14,000 uh, for for low income families to be able to electrify their homes, that that is an incredible amount of incentives for householders. How is it going to be rolled out? What's the nature of the programs? Is it through states? Is it directly through householders? So it it does vary. The um, the tax credits go directly to the, the households. So when you file your tax return, you can claim that credit and get the money directly from the federal government. And the, the rebate programs are then done in a federated style. So the federal government kind of sets the ground rules and then they push the money to the states and the states are able to design their own programs that meet their local climate, uh, both political and actual physical climate, you know, because we do have, you know, we've got very cold regions, we've got much warmer regions, we've got wetter regions, we've got drier regions, so they can um, tailor things to to certain types of appliances or certain packages, mm. however they want to do it. Um, so there are benefits to that in that we can have this sort of tailored approach. But the drawback is it is a little bit more complicated and it takes a little bit longer to get stood up. So right now we're still in the stage of having the national rules set and then the states can start to, to design their own tailored approach. It does mean that it's going to rely on the states to, to actually roll out a good chunk of the programs. What mm -hmm. about those states, the, the Republican states, which, um, let's face it, some of them are climate deniers, how, how do you think it's going to go in some of those states? So far, I mean, and we, we're focusing mostly on the, the sort of residential benefits right now. There's a wide variety of other programs, um, and a lot of those are seeing a lot of uptake from even, even from the Republican stage, which is nice to see. Um, for the rebate programs, because it's still early days, we still have almost a whole year for states to decide whether or not they want to be part, and we're hopeful that they all decide to, because this is really just a, a way for, uh, especially you know, low-income 
and disadvantaged uh, communities to be able to access incentives, discounts on getting appliances. And we all need to be able to have, you know, heated and cooled homes mm. and, and replace appliances when they break. So we're hopeful that, that we'll see um, uptake. There are some things, you know, there are programs for solar and uh, that program is a little bit different in the way that it's run and not the tax credit that goes straight to the householders, but the um, there's a grant program for solar that um, that if the states opt out, the cities were able to pick up the slack and we saw four Republican states that did decide to opt out, but they had their cities come forward um, and so they can get the funding and, and be able to push it out to the residents. Yeah, I have read comments by well, one of the presidential hopefuls, Nikki Haley, that the IRA is a communist manifesto filled with tax hikes that benefit China. I mean, there are some ridiculous things that have been said about the IRA. What's your feeling about whether or not the, the Republicans will come on board with it? Personally, I think it's a little bit instructive to uh, look back at a law that we had for trying to increase access to health care, since we don't have universal health care mm. uh, in the U.S. still. But there was a, a bill passed you know, fairly early in President Obama's term, which got derided by Republicans as Obamacare. Yes. And it was pilloried. I mean, there were it, there were people out saying that it was going to be death councils and people were going to be killing your grandmother because she wasn't worth the cost of saving her. And it, I mean, just horrible Ridiculous things. Ridiculous things, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, after a few years, by the time Trump was in office, and, and Trump ran on a platform partially of repealing Obamacare, but once he got into office, um, he found that the majority of Americans actually liked it, and they, <laughs> they never did repeal it. And, and now it's the law of the land, and it is uh, it's supported by a majority. I have a feeling that we are going to see a lot of heated rhetoric about the IRA it probably won't poll well during the next election. It probably is going to be smeared with a lot of uh, misunderstandings of what it is and what it does. And and part of the reason I think that's true is because when you look at, at you know polling data on Americans, most Americans still don't know. They've never heard of the IRA. They don't know what's in it. They don't understand what what it actually means and and what it could do for them. And when you have an information vacuum like that, it can be filled by mm. you know whoever screams the loudest. But when you talk to people about some of the specific provisions, you know people do know that there's this EV tax credit and this EV. Uh, manufacturing boom they do know you know so they've heard some of the things or when you when you tell them about some of the incentives that are out there available for them they get really excited about them so I think it's one of these things that with a little bit of time and we've even seen honestly some of the same Republicans who you know have had some unkind words about the bill as a whole have been at ribbon cuttings when they have you know, <laughs> manufacturing homes in their own districts. So I do think it's... Um, Can you name names? Uh, <laughs> I, I will refrain. But <laughs> I will just say, I do think, I think there may be a little daylight in between the rhetoric that we're going to see in the short term and uh, the eventual you know, how we're going to feel about it once once people start to understand what it really means in a more functional sense. Be because it's so practical, because it will exactly. have such an output, outcome that people can see.
Exactly, exactly. Once people see that, that we're talking about jobs, we're talking about cheaper energy, we're talking about modernizing our grid and, and having EVs and having things that, that people are going to like. I mean, if you've ever driven an EV, it's fun. I'd they never go back terms. to anything else, I'm afraid. <laughs> right. So, you know, I do think it's some of it is just with a little bit of time and a little bit of uh, familiarity, I think people will come around, even if they don't like the name IRA for a long time. And it doesn't actually do anything for inflation, does it? Well, that is a good question. So when the Inflation Reduction Act was passed, this was not long after Russia invaded Ukraine. And we were seeing all of the, the price spikes caused from fossil fuel price uh, spikes, mm. which is not something that we're particularly accustomed to or comfortable with in the US. We like to think that we produce plenty of oil and plenty of natural gas and we should be able to have it cheap. Thank you very much. Um, so it was really quite jarring for people to see that inflationary pressure um, and, and the knock-on effects, because if, if you have to have more expensive gasoline, then you're going to have more expensive deliveries and, and that kind of drives a, a cycle through a lot of things. So from that standpoint, there is a, an element that, that gets, it gets you off of that wild ride, mm. right? It can give you that, that price certainty of, of renewables that you don't have to worry about what other price shocks might be coming down the road and, and what inflationary uh, forces might be lurking in your, in your fossil fuels as the international markets dictate. But certainly, you know, well, I think as we've all learned, responding to inflation isn't something that you can do like flipping a light switch. So it's not like we could pass the bill and, and have solved inflation right away. But, you know, that's, that's sort of the, the, my understanding of the genesis of the name. What do you see as the, the, the main impediment to the rollout for the householder um, benefits for, from the IRA? I don't know that we've hit any true impediments yet. I think it's more just a function of these things are difficult and they take time and they take time to do well. Mm. Um, so especially the, the tax credits are, are out and available now. Um, people are already able to, to use those. But for the, the rebate programs, because of the, it was really important to try to be able to help those households who most need the help, which means the people who can't put the money up front and wait for weeks or months to get the money back in the mail, it's really important to then have it as an upfront discount. Mm. But doing it as a, a point of sale program, that's not something we've ever done before. So, you know, figuring out how do you work with contractors? How do you work with retailers? How do you, you know, figure out whose income qualified because it is a is a means tested program you know we mm. really are trying to target that that funding to to the most vulnerable populations so it, it it takes time to figure that out and make sure that you really are helping the the people that you're intending to help with it um and i i think so far we're making good progress on setting up good good systems to do that and do it without having it be burdensome. You know, we're, we're trying to find workarounds so that we're not asking a low income family to have to spend weeks filling out form after form and waiting to hear if they're qualified, you know, really trying to be thoughtful about how to make it frictionless and streamlined 
Um, but it, it does take a little time then to, to get it all right. Mm. Well, what about the renters? How are the programs targeting renters? Because certainly here in Australia, a, a third of our population actually lives in rental accommodation and there is a big concern that they're going to miss out on mm -hmm. the energy transition. How does the IRA deal with that really important issue? So to be perfectly honest, not as well as I would like. Um, there is a, there's a long legacy in the US of trying to encourage um, home ownership, which is a, a reasonable goal. Um, and then there's a long history of trying to do that through the tax code, which is the vehicle that we also use for a lot of this uh, you know, policy to come through. Those collide, though, into meaning that even though we've sort of made tweaks to the law that say that technically renters can claim certain things, functionally speaking, not many renters are going to buy a solar array, rooftop array no. for their landlord. Um, so that's not really a practical solution. Um, I think what we have done that I'm really encouraged by is that the, the rebate programs are really uh there's 10 percent of that funding is set aside for affordable multifamily housing and there and all of it is available for landlords to use as well um if the uh the tenants are mean uh income willing. qualified yeah well if they're willing and if they if they they meet the the you know if, it, if it's a, an affordable uh rental unit then the landlords can access that um, because we have we have a lot of, of history of not having incentives available to to landlords and if you don't incentivize landlords um, then it's it's a real problem we also have the problem in the u.s um there's there's a, a split incentive in that landlords are obviously responsible for the the appliances for whether or not there's rooftop solar all of these sorts of decisions are going to come down to the landlord but it's the tenant who usually pays pays the utility bill mm. so savings from energy efficiency or from having solar that's going to the tenant and it doesn't leave the landlord with a lot of reason to want to make those investments so we're, we're just starting to turn the corner um, by having these rebates uh, incentivize landlords to get involved um, but there's 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 more work to do there. We're also working on trying to identify other solutions, and we've we've seen some real interest in the the sort of hot plate uh, induction, like single eye burners. I don't know if you have those in Australia, the but the portable ones, you mean? Yes, yeah, yes, they're quite popular in the U.S. now, and the we've we've even seen like public libraries that will rent them out, oh, uh, right. so you can test them out. <laughs> yeah, and um, and they're affordable enough that, that most people can can get one if they need to and you know, slap a cutting board over the top of your gas stove and then you can use your uh, your little induct portable induction burner or something um, and that's something that a renter can take with them if they want to exactly but mm. it's it's there's more to do there for sure yeah what, what else do you think needs to be done to encourage landlords to make these investments we're seeing some encouraging pilots in multifamily buildings, um, figuring out how to handle the financials for that, you know, what sorts of loans should they access, building up data on how much money they can save by improving their energy efficiency. 
we're in early days, you know, we're mm. still, a lot of our, our cities are still just doing, you know, pilot programs for that. But it will help when we have that data, where again, we're just starting to see good programs that incentivize the landlords to, to, to have some money they can access. But it is, I think, I think it's going to come down to some nitty gritty regulatory work about mm. rethinking how we structure who's paying for the utility bills and what responsibility landlords have to their tenants and things like that. Um, I think that would really help. But it's uh, it's not easy. It's it's mm. definitely a, a long road to walk. Yes, definitely. One, one of the issues that we're having in Australia with the rollout of our electrification journey is, is that we don't have enough tradies. We don't have a, enough mm. electricians or electrical engineers for the task that is at hand and we're probably not quite so far down the the road as you guys what are you what's america doing to uh, build up the the tradie workforce to roll out this the, these massive programs which the ira is funding so we're kind of taking a two-pronged approach to it this time around um, there is money put into the IRA specifically for training programs. So the Department of Energy is pushing that money out to states and cities and tribal territories um, for them to set up their own training programs. Um, and that's that's really important and really key. But one sort of lesson that maybe we learned from the financial crisis of the sort of 08, 09 era, when we did that, uh, the big you know, legislative push to address that. There was money put into trying to do energy efficiency for the residential sector. There was money spent on trying to train workforce. We trained up a whole lot of, of folks to go and do those installation jobs. And then the, the funding ran out for the, you know, the federal incentives ran out and they found that their work was, was drying up mm. and it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So one of the real key tenets of the IRA is to focus on building the market and focus on having a lot of demand and with a, an intention of having the demand, having, you know, the interest in that, the, the available work that will drive the, the jobs that will then drive the training. So we'll see how well that works, um, but I'm hopeful. And, and there's there's a lot of intentionality being put into most all of the programs, honestly, in the IRA to think about how do they work together and how do we how do we have them interact with state and local programs? How do we have them outlive this current funding cycle to really, you know, have market transformation and make sure that we're having lasting changes and and lasting uh, uh, job creation for those who are trying to join these sectors? It really does seem that the, uh, there are multi-pronged incentives and it's working mm -hmm. at lots of different levels it really does seem like it's quite transformational to me in terms of the, those partnerships that are being developed and the different levels at which it's working. Yeah, I would completely agree. I mean, and, and I, I do think that that is, again, quite intentional. It's really, there's a lot of focus on everything from the manufacturing through to the in-the-home installation and everything in between. And with a, an eye also towards not just having it be the now, but having it, what, what is it going to look like five years from now? What is it going to look like 10 years from now? And making sure that we uh, have 
we're going to have the supply of solar panels that we want in 10 years, that we're going to have the supply of EVs that we want in 10 years, you know, and really trying to think, be thoughtful about how do we set this up for not just short-term success, but medium and long-term success as well. It does seem key, the, the emphasis on American manufacturing, which the IRA is supporting. How important do you think that that is for moving into the future and for the success of the IRA? Well, I think there's two parts of that that are, are really key. One of them is just what we were saying, that, that eye towards the future, making sure that we have the supply chain, making sure that we don't face price uncertainty and price spikes and supply chain issues like we've all been, you know, unfortunately too familiar with over the last few years and trying to see how we can create like a, a good stable supply of, of all of the components that we're going to want and need. The other part, honestly, is trying to embed this into the day-to-day lives and win a little bit of the political side of the ledger. Mm. Uh, Because a lot of the the manufacturing jobs are going into Republican districts and Republican states. Mm. And while the politicians in those states and and the, the populace of those states may not already be in love with the IRA, they do like the jobs. Um, and the more, you know, the more that you kind of embed this into the, the day-to-day and the, well, you know, I, I, I'm going to work at the Ford F-150 Lightning factory and we're building out the batteries for this and we're, you know, and my, my, my brother's off building wind, wind turbines and you start to kind of just embed it into, this is just this is just industry. This is just the future. This is just how we compete on an international stage in a modern economy. And it becomes, hopefully, a little bit less of a political football and a little bit more of, of a, a broad base of support. Yes, it's very clever in that way, I think. What are some of the specific incentives for to encourage manufacturing in, in the States? Uh, so again, there's sort of two prongs to that. One of them is having um, domestic content requirements. And there's there's domestic content requirements scattered all throughout everything. So you can get um, an additional 10% bonus on utility scale solar if you have domestic ma- manufactured components, so, you know, and all, you know, all sorts of things like that. You can, the, the EV tax credit, if you want to claim that, you need to have uh, a certain percentage of the, the battery components and the critical minerals need to be either domestically sourced or sourced from a, a trade ally. But the the other half of it is, is actual direct incentives for the manufacturing. So there's a production tax credit for the more, uh, you know, we're used to thinking of a production tax credit as, as uh, the more electricity you produce, like from a windmill, mm. then you get a tax credit for each you know megawatt hour that you produce. But this is a, a manufacturing production tax credit. So every solar cell that you produce, you can get, you know, so many cents of a tax credit on that or windmill blades or critical minerals or battery components. You know, there's a variety of things that you can do that. Um, there's also a grant program program through the it was through the Defense Production Act but funded through the IRA that um, is giving grants specifically for building new facilities or retooling existing facilities to build more heat pumps Mm. Um, so we're sort of looking both at how do we directly incentivize manufacturing and how do we incentivize the people to want to buy domestically manufactured pieces 
Tell me, tell me specifically about the, the car industry, how it's assisting the car industry, the electric yeah. car industry, I should say. I well, I think it's it's uh, helping the entire car industry in the U.S. Honestly, because to be frank, we were a bit flat-footed uh, in in being you know forward-leaning on EVs, and uh, when you look at the international car market, which matters even to those of us in the U.S. where we have our own fairly large domestic market. China is is mm. making great strides at uh, exporting more and more of their cars. Um, so high time for us to catch up, but. The EV sector on the manufacturing side is one of the biggest growth areas that we've seen. There have been so many announcements in the last year for new factories, for uh, batteries, for uh, you know EV assembly. It's, it's really taking off. I mean, we're seeing billions and billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of jobs uh, that are coming online, again, primarily in Republican states. Um, so it's, uh, it's definitely a, a very quick and, and very uh, pronounced success story on that side. And what about for householders? What what are the EV um, rebates and incentives to buy available? Yeah, so you can get $7,500 off. The way, the, the sort of asterisk on that is that it is Half of that is is predicated on having a sufficient amount of the critical minerals be from either domestic sources or trade ally sources. And then the other half of that is for the battery components and where they've been manufactured. So that does cut down on the number of models that qualify right now because we didn't have Mm. that many factories building batteries, EV batteries in the US before this. We didn't have we don't we still don't have that much capacity for um sourcing our own critical minerals thank you australia for shipping some to us <laughs> you know but it is it's it's a nice size incentive um for you know 7500 that's that's a good good yeah. chunk off of the price of a car and for those who can charge at home it definitely makes the the evs quite cost competitive they're actually cheaper now than than having a, a gas a new gas car the way it works, though, it is a tax credit, um, so you have to to file it, you know, seven yep. months later when you do your taxes. Although that's going to change in a couple of years, we're going to switch to a we call it cash on the hood. I guess you might call it cash on the bonnet. I don't know. Yes. Um, <laughs> but that way, the the dealer would sort of be able to claim the tax credit on your behalf and give it to you as an upfront discount, which oh, is nice. Right. Okay. Um, and they actually have a separate version for leased vehicles, um, which if you ask uh, Senator Joe Manchin, um, he was not he is not keen on that particular um, part, but the it a leased vehicle is a commercially owned vehicle, and the commercial tax credit didn't come with any of those restrictions about the battery or the critical minerals. Um, so you can also get it uh, a, a bit of an incentive if you're leasing your car instead of buying. What about charging infrastructure? Mm. It's all very well to encourage the use of the the vehicles, but obviously, if there isn't the charging infrastructure out there, it will it will slow the the rollout. Is there anything there for charging? Oh, there is. There's so the charging part. We also had the bipartisan infrastructure law, sometimes called the IIJA, um, that was passed before the year before the Inflation Reduction Act, and that got us started with our charging infrastructure. And it had grant money for states could use to put um, 
EV charging along the highways, uh, mm -hmm. so the interstates, and that's uh, that's flowing and that's happening. And and we've seen all of the states, even the Republican states, have taken up that money and are using it. So that's great. But we also now have in the Inflation Reduction Act. There's incentives for people who want to put a home charger. If you want to have like a, a faster, a level two charger in your garage, you can um, get a tax credit for that, 30% up to $1,000. Um, and there is a uh, an incentive for doing like bigger, whether it is a, you know, on the side of the road or at a, a gas station kind of a, a charging spot for just regular people and out in their EVs, or whether you're looking at doing, you know, fleet vehicles, if you're going to have a set of delivery trucks that are driving around town, um, and you've got kind of a depot where you're charging them, they've got a 30% uh, tax credit up to $100,000 for that, which is um, a pretty mm. big incentive. They have to be in um, economically disadvantaged or rural areas, but that's still leaves a lot of, of good places and places that could use to see that development. Yes. Is there anything that the IRA doesn't do well? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think one thing that we we wish we had more of is transmission. Um, when we look at our grid, we have a lot of good wind in the middle of the country and we have a lot of good solar, especially along the southern part of the country and especially in the southwest because it doesn't get cloudy out there. But that's not... Uh, perfectly aligned to where all of our population is. So trying to move the um, the power around. I don't know how that works in Australia, actually, but in the US, we run into a lot of difficulties trying to build transmission lines when they have to cross state lines. Uh, there's a lot of different parties at play that have to it's the same all agree. Here. It's the same oh, okay. here, yeah. And we've, yeah, we've got a yeah. big issue too with private landowners too yes. and things being rushed through. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we had originally in the the IRA there was going to be a tax credit for building transmission, and unfortunately that uh, didn't make it. It ended up on the cutting room floor, um, which makes me sad because I, I do think we get it. We we need we need a variety of tools. It's it's a it's a wicked problem, but there's yeah have, having a little bit more financial incentive probably would have helped. Yeah. Just a final question. Uh, moving fast on electrification clearly is a, a really important thing to do. Can you just outline what advantages are if we move really fast at the beginning of this electrification process? Yeah, so uh, I, I, I can't give you one answer to any question, but I'm going to keep that up. Um, the, I think there's there's two main factors here. One is we believe very firmly in S-curves of adoption. You know, if you look at what happened when iPhones came out or smartphones or other things, you know, other technologies, there tends to be a, a slow period of adoption and then it ramps up very quickly and goes, you know, almost vertical. And then it levels off as you get to, to having, you know, nearly everyone having the technology. And that's what we're seeing so far with EV adoption um, in a lot of, of the earlier mover markets. And it's what we expect to see in the US with EVs. It's what we expect to see with other things like heat pump water heaters and rooftop solar and other things, uh, induction cooking. Because as people start to realize how amazing an induction stove is, you know, you, you see one at your neighbors and then you want one for yourself and it kind of catches on like wildfire after a bit. But that means that 
getting yourself a little bit up that curve and, and getting over that initial slow period is really quite impactful because then you get into the, the steep part of the S curve and you start to see the, the adoption really take off. But the other side is the climate's not waiting for anyone. It matters getting to net zero and it matters when we get to net zero, but it also matters the path that we take to get to net zero because the more carbon that we pump into our atmosphere between now and then, the more we have to pay for that. So hopefully we can start to, to bring down those emissions as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Sage Briscoe, thanks so much for joining the Switched On podcast today. It was my pleasure. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you. And Sage Briscoe is the Director of Federal Policy at Rewiring America. And we'll take a look at what Australia can learn from America's Inflation Reduction Act in coming weeks. So don't forget to keep listening to the Switched On podcast. And if you're enjoying what we're offering, don't forget, ticks and likes on your favourite podcast player will help other people find us. That's it for Switched On today. I'm Anne Delaney. I hope you can join me next time. Till then. Oh,